Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz War Report. This show is about marriage, divorce, and everything in between. In my married life, my wife's most brilliant achievement was her ability to be able to persuade me to marry her. But my most brilliant achievement has been my ability to convince her to remain married to me. She says that being married to me is like adopting an overgrown child who cannot be handled by his parents anymore. But what happens when marriage is mishandled? My guest is Susan Peace Gadwa, who is a licensed therapist and the founder of Changing Marriage, which is an agency to help couples succeed in their marriage. Susan focuses on helping couples reconnect or disconnect. Welcome to the show, Susan. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Thank you for connecting with me this show. Well, thank you for having me. So tell me, is marriage a sham or is it a shame these days? <laughs> I think that's the million-dollar question that's up for evaluation. I think a lot of people are asking that question. Mm. And normally in your experience, I mean, who wants the breakup, the husband or the wife? Well, statistically speaking, women tend to be the ones asking for the divorce more than men. I just think that there are different circumstances. Uh, women tend to get burned out on taking care of the family and, and, the, and the husband. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously in a hetero marriage. Um, and men often are not expressing their unhappiness. Um, and they tend to, and this is a gross generalization, but they might meet someone new and, and make that the reason that they're leaving. So it's usually the men who are having the affair? Yes, it is. Wow. And, and, and women certainly do have affairs. Um, just got a call from a woman yesterday who's in that situation. Uh, it's just, uh, it does tend to be men who who have extramarital affairs more than women. Wow. Mm-hmm. You tell your clients you don't care whether they make up or break up. Why is that? Well, what I want my clients to know when they come to me because they're having troubles in their marriage is that what I'm looking to help them with is to become the most authentic people they can be. And that sometimes means that the relationship isn't going to last. And what I'm looking for is what's best um, for, for both, if possible, um, in terms of how can they be most true to themselves, how can they take best care of the, of the kids. Mm. There are a lot of factors to think about when you're looking at ending a marriage. And it isn't just about you. It's about a lot of other people. But you're not going to be the most present you can be if you're living a lie. Living a lie. I mean, you know, that begs, to, that begs the question, what is the truth? Um, do you find that, you know, are we becoming more selfish? Are we becoming more self-obsessed with this so-called pursuit of ourselves and this sort of elusive sense of being called happiness? I think we are. I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing. I mm. think it's a function of the fact that we don't have to worry about food and shelter and safety uh, like we used to. And um, 
you know, we're higher functioning in general, and we have a lot more choices than we've ever had before. And so, yes, I think people are more focused on their happiness, and I'm careful not to tell people, you know, I, I, I want you to be happy because <laughs> that, that does sound selfish um, versus authentic, which the distinction that I make is that, again, you're more present for yourself and for the world. You're, you're more just wanting to be where you are, which to me is different than happiness. But, you know, I mean, every every marriage, every union has three personalities. There's me, my wife, and then there's us. Right. And that's not going to change um, in any other relationship. It's just going to be slightly different. Right. So I don't know what these couples are thinking when they're looking for so-called happiness uh, or they're presently unhappy. I, I do think that there are people who are wanting a feeling and slash high, wanting to feel good all the time, and that's not realistic in a long-term marriage. One of my least favorite sayings that people come in with is uh, that they heard from their spouse, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. And to me, that means that the person is looking for that romantic love high that right. is very short-lived. Mm -hmm. so, but then what do you recommend? I mean, how can they get that high? A role play? Well, I don't know that that should be the goal, that they get that high. I think that, that you know, in a mature adult relationship, you're mm. going to have times that are good and times that are bad, and to be able to ride through the bad times is a function of maturity. So what I want people to do is become more mature. Right. Because, you know, in our parents' generation, they managed the unhappiness. Uh, right. We don't seem to want to. We want everything, but we end up getting nothing. That is such a great question, a great statement. And um, Stephanie Coons has written, she's a, a sociologist, and she's written extensively about the fact that we've raised the bar so high for marriage right. that it's literally unattainable and then we make people wrong who can't make it happen so i think that you know we really need to look at what are we saying that marriage should be should it be that this person is your be-all end-all should it be that the person is simply your co-parent is there room for you to have a different marriage than i have mm. because you sent out a wonderful tweet um I think it was today, you said, in a bad marriage, men suffer hypertension, women suffer depression. My wife suffers from both. Um, just kidding. <laughs> um, but what do you see that can be defined as a bad marriage these days? I think a bad marriage certainly begins with not communicating what your needs are and the hypertension and depression mm -hmm. are functions of, you know, one is uh, somebody wanting to explode and not, not doing that, so their blood pressure goes up, and the other, and this is just traditional male-female, uh, what we do with our emotions, women tend to go in on themselves, and de depression is called anger turned inward. So, um, 
you know, a bad marriage is one that makes you feel bad, one that you feel you can't say what your truth is, one that doesn't bring out the best in you. If you can't say what the truth is to your partner, then the, pro- the, the problem doesn't necessarily lie with the partner. I think that's true. I mean, you've, uh, not you, but one has chosen not to express themselves, so it's, it's usually their fault. No one is stopping them. Well, I think one of the, the things that does stop somebody is, is good intentions. They don't want to hurt their spouse. And the, the irony is that they often end up hurting their spouse more than they would have if they had just said what was on their mind. Hmm. So you find when couples come to you, do they actually share things with you in front of the other spouse and where the other spouse has never heard about it before? That has happened, yes. So it's lack of communication. Lack of communication, fear of communicating what you need to to communicate mm-hmm. and again whether that's their issue or the partner's issue or a combination because it can be that i think they're just trying to avoid conflict so what are some of the wrong reasons to stay in a bad marriage well and i do want to make a distinction between a bad marriage and a good enough marriage mm-hmm. i think some of the reasons that i'll point out to not stay in a bad marriage might be okay if it's a good enough marriage, and I can explain that. But I I think if it's truly a bad marriage that it's not good to stay for the kids, that's probably the number one reason why people stay. And the reason it's not good is because if people are fighting or if they're not talking, Mm -hmm. so they're doing the freeze out, children are being exposed to unbelievable amounts of tension and that's not healthy for them they suffer children take it on because they don't have the defenses built up to deal with these intense emotions so you're not doing your children any favors by staying in a bad marriage in fact my parents stayed 10 years longer than they should have but it it really puts a burden on the kids and it exposes them to some toxic emotions. How did that impact you? Well, I certainly felt like I was responsible for their unhappiness to a degree, and it also modeled that marriage is a prison sentence to be endured rather than a partnership to be enjoyed. Both of my parents were miserable. But they stayed on because of you. They said, we are staying because of the kids, yes. And we are staying because we're not weak like those other people. Did it impact your marriage or your approach to relationships? It certainly did. I was on track to get married to my college boyfriend. I was 22 or 23 and getting engaged. And I absolutely said, I cannot do this. I thought, you know, the rest of my life is a really long time. And I don't want to follow in the same footsteps. So I actually didn't get married for the first time until I was 43. 43? 43. Mm-hmm. So do, uh, f- from your 20s to your 40s, you were just dating or were you living with someone? I had live-in relationships and I dated mm. and I was single. I had all of the configurations. So it was, was it a fear of sort of falling out of marriage that prevented you from getting into marriage? It was fear of staying in a toxic marriage. 
It was because that's what my parents modeled. So it wasn't necessarily fear of getting out. It was fear of the fallout that it would cause if I got out. But it was more about all those miserable years I believed I would be stuck. So did you find that fear actually impacted your ability to give all of yourself to a relationship? I think it did, yes. Now tell me how, in, 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 in toxic relationships, um, how to know if you should stay or go? Well, I look at, um, you know, a couple different factors. One is, do you even have a workable marriage? So if you're in a, in a marriage where the other person is not trying at all to make things work, mm-hmm. then you're, you don't really have a marriage. You know, I see this often, and it is generally more women than men who are doing backflips, trying to get the husband into therapy or get, you know, communication going. And if the other person can't or won't, you really don't have anything to work on. And then the other thing that I look at is if you're going toward a goal or if you're going away from a fear. So an example is... Um, I want to stay in the marriage because I want to give my children a two-parent household. That's going toward a goal. But I want to um, stay in the marriage because I'm afraid to date Hmm. again. So that would be, you know, trying to avoid something you're afraid to deal with. And I find that the people who are going toward a goal tend to follow through more often than the people who are trying to avoid a fear. So knowing if to stay or go is determined by the cooperation between both the husband and the wife to make things better. That's one piece of it, yes. There are definitely relationships where one person says to the other, I need you to get on board and the other person does and it still doesn't work Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly it's not workable what I call workable if if one person is just not even invested right so you need a leader and a follower Um, I, I suppose yeah now how do you know why you should stay or why you should go Well, this is where I can make that distinction between a good enough versus a bad marriage. Um, Bad marriage is what I was talking about before, where it it can be toxic, there can be abuse. um, It's damaging in some way to you, your spouse, or your children. Um, A good enough marriage is where you get along well enough. I, I have many people who are converting their traditional marriage to a parenting marriage, and the reason they can do that is because even though they don't get along as husband and wife or wife and wife, they are good co-parents. They get along well enough, and they are present enough for their children. They love their children. They're involved, and they can all do things together. So, you know, if it's a good enough situation, then it is absolutely okay to stay. So being Uh, civilized with each other in a way. Yeah. Good roommates, good housemates. Pardon me? Good roommates, good housemates. (laughs) 
Well, that's that's an interesting thought that I often I've, I've used that as a a test with clients to say, you know, so this is the person you married, however many years ago. Mm-hmm. A, would you choose them today as a spouse? Many people say no to that because their needs have changed, or the people have changed, or circumstances. But then I say, okay, well, would that person make a good friend? And that really gets them thinking about, hmm, maybe you're right. Um, If it's not someone I can communicate with, that's not a good friend. And then I lower the bar even more and say, would the person even make a good roommate? And that has blown people out of the water thinking, oh, my God, it's not even someone that I'd want to share my house with. So it's uh, it's an eye-opening exercise. Yeah, because I, I guess you're redefining marriage by redefining expectation. That is, you just said that perfectly. That's exactly right. And right now, the way that we have marriage set up is that we have these high expectations that are built on a foundation of love, which is a changeable emotion. And that's not a very strong foundation to build anything on. So being aware of what your expectations are of yourself and the other person going into marriage is going to help immensely. So that leads me to ask how to know when, when you should stay or go. Well, that's a soul-searching you know, question, mm. and people, there is no right time. We'll put it that way. There's no you know, good time to leave, but there are definitely some wrong times, and people, I think, often wait for a sign. I, I'll know when to leave if this happens, and I've seen people wait 20 years, and that outside thing never happens. Um, but there are definitely wrong times, as I said. I've, I have a family where the father left on the 11-year-old's birthday, and so from that day on, that you know, every year that son would think about his father leaving on his birthday, and that really ruined it for the son. And could the dad have waited a month? A lot of guys do this. Like they'll pick on the birthday or the anniversary to announce that it's all over. Mm. What is, what are the guys thinking? Um, of course, I'm a guy, but I mean, I'm just, yeah. I, I, I couldn't get myself to do that on, on, a, on a significant day. I actually don't think it's a thought out process. I think it's, generally speaking, more a function of the top being blown off. I can't take it anymore. I've got to get out of here. Certainly, but if you uh, waited that long, you can wait another twenty-four hours, like after the right. kid's birthday. Right, and you know, I think that tensions or expectations get higher around events. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the pressure feels greatest, and and that's when you know they just say, "I got to get out of here." So it's almost like a vindictive act. No, I I don't know that it is. I, I that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's purposefully hurtful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is. I, a friend of mine, his wife, left on Christmas after she opened the presents, and she took them with her. I mean, that's pretty rotten. Um, that's pretty vindictive. I think that that can happen, but I actually think that's the exception. You and I were talking earlier, and, and we discussed something in terms of 
that the problems are not about what happens to us in the relationship. It's what we sort of self-tell ourselves about what happened that matters. Right. So actually we're brainwashing ourselves and making things out to be maybe worse than what they are. And you said that this concept is the real problem. Yes, I, I believe it is. I, we all get, when we're children, before the age of really seven, we all are given a lens through which to see the world. And what happens is we learn about ourselves and relationships by what people tell us and how we're treated. Mm-hmm. So it, before the age of seven is important because we think everything happens because of something we did. If dad left, it's because I wasn't good enough. If mom yelled at me, it's because I'm a bad person. We don't understand that they might have been having a, a hard day or there were many other circumstances. So what would happen in that situation is that I would internalize that I'm not good enough and people don't want to be with me and I then put that lens on the world, and when I go out to play with my friends at the age of 10 and they don't interact with me enough, it's, it reinforces my belief, because I've already got the preset story that I'm not good enough and no one wants to be with me, that that's what's happening. And then when my spouse doesn't acknowledge me or says that they're not happy in the marriage, it reinforces that really old story that's been running my entire life. And so even though things may not be personal and that's not what's going on, it's the way it's interpreted. Could that also be, I mean, you're talking about self-inflicted brainwashing. Um, Could that also be redirected towards the spouse? For example, I mean, if I don't take out the garbage, uh, could my wife think that I'm just chauvinist, I'm lazy, I'm inconsiderate. Whereas on my side, I just didn't think about it. If I was told to do it, I would. But it's not something that sort of is in my thinking zone, so to speak. You know how men are. Uh, (laughs) We'll we'll do it if we're told. Right. But we're expected to think about it before we're told, which is a little challenging at best of times. Sure. I do think, you know, we all have a story running. So if your wife is, um, you know, watching what you're doing or, or not doing, and she starts to tell herself a story about he doesn't care what I need or he doesn't contribute and I have to do everything. Right. And then she starts telling herself that over and over. And this is what most, most of us do this on some level unconsciously. And the key is to get conscious, you know. And I, tell, I give people the tool to say the story I'm making up is, that you don't care that I want to keep the house clean. And, and that's a different conversation than, why are you so lazy? Why can't you help me? Which is very judgmental and off-putting. Hmm. So how do you address that problem with your clients? I help them to get conscious of the story that they tell themselves and the, the core wound that they have underneath that. Right. Yeah. It's very powerful when people start to get it. And then they, what happens is they see how they do it in all the situations. They might be fighting about something big like how to deal with the children or something as small as you left the, the 
soda can top off again, you know, the bottle top off. So it, it can... It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. If the core story is the same, it's going to show up in everything. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Marriage seems to, or the traditional concept of marriage seems to be changing. And, and you've brought to attention to me um, that you've been doing some research and you've discovered there are seven alternatives to traditional marriage. Yeah. Um, my co-author, Vicki Larson, and I uh, set out to write a book about marriage, and we were surprised what, with what we found, that there are seven alternatives. Um, so there's a, a starter marriage, mm-hmm. which is a concept that's been around for a while, Margaret Mead has talked about it. The Japanese had a starter marriage, and Pamela Paul wrote a book about it in 2002. So what's a starter marriage? Yeah, so the concept of a starter marriage is like a, a driver's learner's permit, where you get to try it on and see if it actually fits. So it would be, ideally, I think, for people who are under 35 who do not want to have children or, or agree that they would not have children and they can come up with a short-term arrangement. Actually, Mexico City tried to pass this into law, I think, in 2011, mm-hmm. of um, a time-limited agreement that you could then renew if you wanted to or just leave without the divorce process. It's like leasing a relationship. Uh, say that again? It's like leasing a relationship. Leasing, a wed lease. is that So like a five-year... We're married yeah. for five years. That's right. That's right. Is that, that that's not? How does that work in the legal context? Well, it's. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't speak to everything. Right. But um, I do know that it would certainly cause some legal problems because it is time limited, mm. which is a different type of contract than the traditional marriage, which is supposed to be forever after. And the next one's a companionship marriage. Right. What's that? Well, that marriage is based on... So my husband and I have a companionship marriage. We were both older. We weren't intending to start a family. We were established in our lives and our careers. And we basically uh, wanted to be married um, as a statement of our love for each other and we really like each other. It was less based on this intense romantic high love mm-hmm. and more on a deep friendship. And we like doing things together and traveling together and growing old together. So this is like a best buddy marriage. It can be likened to a best buddy marriage. People say, well, does that mean there's no sex? And I say, well, no, there, it doesn't mean that there's no sex. It just means that sex isn't necessarily, or the romantic connection isn't necessarily the number one connection. Okay. Um, parenting marriage, obviously, I mean, that's about two people who are interested in being parents, I guess. Yeah, so that could be. Um, Vicky was on the plane going somewhere, and she started talking to a young couple who told her that they were going to get married, but that they were secretly marrying so that they could have two children together, mm-hmm. and they were going to decide later on whether they wanted to stay in the marriage after the kids had grown up. And 
I have actually helped people about, I don't know, six years ago, started helping people transition a traditional marriage into one where they could co-parent. But the most surprising thing that we found in our research was that there are actually websites now where people can go and find a co-parent. So places like modamly.com and family, uh, sorry, pollentry.com, there, there are many websites where you can go and search for a co-parent. Wow. So this is like, I don't know, it's almost like a carefully planned breeding relationship. Well, it, it, it's really about a purpose-driven marriage that we were talking about. And it is in order to raise children. And there's a lot of research that shows that children don't need their parents to be married. They don't need their parents to be in love. Mm-hmm. They need is their parents to get along, to be involved in their lives, and to have a stable environment. So if you do think about it, the, the foundation of friends is generally more solid because it's not based on that love that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And that's a better match for raising children. And then the fourth alternative to a traditional marriage is a living apart together marriage. Hmm. Right, also called a living alone or lat marriage. So this is an interesting one. Um, people who don't live together have often been accused of you know, being afraid of intimacy. Um, and really, there are just some people who get along better when they're not living in the same household. One of the big game changers for marriage, at least from my perspective, has been the recession. And what happened is people had to go wherever jobs were. Mm-hmm. And so, or, or people who were in the military, one would be overseas and one would be at home. So it wasn't by choice that they didn't live together. It was by necessity. But what we found in our research was that there are actually many more people who are continuing in that trend and also now doing it by choice. Wow. Uh, The fifth one you had was a covenant marriage. Right, and the covenant marriage um, is a marriage that was started by the religious right because they felt that the divorce rate was too high. And it is a legal alternative in three states, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Arizona. Some other states are trying to make it legal, but it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's hard to get it to pass. And it's a marriage that's harder to get into and harder to get out of. Um, So basically, the the couple has to go to a lot of counseling beforehand. They have to make sure that they're ready and that they know what this commitment means. And then they're basically in it for life unless there are extreme circumstances like abuse, abandonment, addiction, criminal behavior. has to be extreme. So you can't get divorced? You can. You can. Uh, Most uh, states that have it say that you have to wait two years between the time that you say you want a divorce and the time that you actually divorce. Mm -hmm. And in that time, you have to go to a lot of counseling. And you also have to have one of those reasons. 
you can't just say irreconcilable differences. That's not going to... What makes people choose a covenant marriage at the outset? Well, I I think that it's um, the people who tend to choose it are people who are more religious and believe in the institution of marriage being a forever covenant and a covenant between themselves and God and that they really want to honor that. And then the sixth one is a safety marriage. Exactly. This is not a contraceptive marriage, is it? (laughs) No. Um, This is really a marriage that is more of, you know, one that we think of uh, where people marry for money or marry for someone to take care of the home, so somewhat of a quid pro quo arrangement. Um, it, It may be... Oh, like sugardaddy.com, you find someone there. Exactly, Exactly. yes. Yeah. Um, Hugh Hefner and Crystal Harris Mm -hmm. might have that. Um, There's a huge age gap between them. They probably don't have tons in common, but he provides her with financial security. She provides him with sex, and who knows what else. So So it's it's almost the extreme of, of the concept of the opposites attract. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, because you might have one older and richer and one younger and poorer. Right. And But the thing is that that's what they are agreeing to, and they complement each other. That's, that's, that's what works for them. Okay. And the last one is open marriage. Right, which sounds like an oxymoron. Hmm. Um, but an open marriage is a one that people can invite other partners into the marriage or they're free to go outside the marriage for a lover. It's, it's up to the couple to decide what the rules are around that. Um, and there, that is something that has also been around for many, many years. And uh, it, it does work for people. I have also seen people try it for whom it doesn't work and it, it causes problems. It certainly complicates things when you bring other people into the relationship. So in all these seven marriages, you, you actually present them as options to your clients? I present them, and Vicki and I present them in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're saying is that these are realistic choices given the world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. And traditional marriage is still an option. It's still a viable option, but it has competition. And there are lots of flaws with traditional marriage, one of which is that the only way that we measure a successful marriage is how long it lasts. You know, not does it, does it feed each person's soul? Does it, you know, serve the, the children that you're raising? So I think it's time that we are asking some of these difficult questions. I guess in all these seven um, alternatives. One thing that just stand out is that human beings like to have a sense of belonging. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, you know, yes. Even though the op- open marriage, whatever, when the third uh, person leaves, uh, at the end of the day, it's still the two people. Right. So there is yeah. that need for an anchor. Sure, and a need for connection and to know that you're loved mm. and that you have a safe place, absolutely. But I guess we live in a world of change, and, and, and I guess uh, 
we, we, we like to even, you know, if it ain't broke, we still like to fix it, so to speak. Well, uh, I think it is broke. <laughs> I think, you know, and... and is it broke reality, or are we broke as human beings? No, that's... I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, you know, what happens, I mm. think, is that we make people wrong when they can't make marriage work. On the back cover of our book, The New I Do, we have a, a little blurb that says, if half the cars in you know, the world broke down, we wouldn't blame the car. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what we're doing with marriage is we're blaming the driver. But meanwhile, it's the car that broke down. And um, why aren't we looking at the car? <laughs> why aren't we looking under the hood and seeing what's going on here? And the other thing that's happening in our world, besides having a lot of choices, we live a lot longer. We're expected to live to over 100. So if you get married in your 20s, that's 80 years together. And that's, that's with one person. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't happen or that that's bad. What I'm saying is why do we put that imposition or expectation on everybody? Why do we have a one-size-fits-all model? I agree. Um, But, you know, critics might say, and I love your analogy of the car and the driver, um, but marriage as an institution uh, is relatively fair. It it says in there, for better or for worse, Mm -hmm. so you know what you're going into. Um, It's the human, it's the two people involved. Like, you know, uh, I've been married for, say, 20 years. the man I was 20 years ago is not the man I am now. Right. Um, but you don't lose your sense of purpose along the journey of time. Well, I, I, here's the thing hmm. I think about. Um, I, because I do see and work with a lot of couples where they had the best of intentions of staying together forever. They wanted desperately to keep that purpose alive and game changers happened or they grew in a different direction Uh and um, a client of mine told me that her mother refused to go to therapy because she knew it would mean she'd have to change I don't see how that serves the world you know Mm. I don't see how if we keep ourselves in in a small container when we're getting bigger, that that's good for anybody. So it might keep the marriage together, but it, it it's creating soul sickness. Well, talking about keeping the marriage together, you mentioned something called purpose-driven marriages as opposed to love-driven. Right. Um, give me an example of a purpose-driven marriage. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean... So the best example is the parenting marriage, where you're not basing your legal marriage on the the love that you feel for each other. Mm-hmm. You're basing it on a task, something that you want to accomplish in that marriage. So it's not, I'm just trying to get my head around that. Um, you're not going to marry necessarily for the old-fashioned love. Because when right. you and I had talked a few days ago, 
you said that there's a woman who set up a so-called will marry for health insurance website. Right. Yes, this was during the recession and she was desperate. She had an, a, an illness that was life-threatening mm-hmm. and she had two kids and she didn't want to die. And uh, so she set up this website and got 75,000 marriage proposals and uh, didn't marry any of those people. But she got her point across, which was, you know, why, why do we give health insurance based on your marital status? But I, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But the 70, 75,000 applicants? Yes. So their mindset would be, I'm happy to pay for her health insurance and, and, and uh, do this parenting marriage, uh, but it's also in exchange, I guess, for sex. Possibly. I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe some of those people wanted to just be good Samaritans. I know that in many of the cases, uh, this woman, Terry Carlson, said that the people were in the military, mm-hmm. and I didn't know this beforehand, but... People in the military get paid more when they're married and have children. They get an extra stipend. So they may have been doing it for their own financial gain as well. Right. Then this one sounded like from War from the Roses, the movie, um, War of the Roses. Um, the couple who remodeled their home so that they could stay in the same house but do a transition to a parenting marriage. Right. Um War of the Roses without the fighting. This is, this is actually the first couple that I worked with to help them transition. They were both doctors, mm-hmm. and they had the financial resources to create a new configuration of their house um, so that they could live in the same space and that they both could be there each night when their kids were going to bed. Right. And certainly not everyone can remodel their house. Some people live upstairs and some down. But the point was that they were both good co-parents and could be there every day for their kids. So I guess the bottom line is, I mean, we can call it in whatever way, but it all ends in in the second word being marriage, Um, whether it's parenting, companionship, or whatever. I think that the two key things I'm taking from you are in order to survive a marriage, you need tolerance mm-hmm. and a certain degree of civility. Well, I actually think that there's also what's important is to be aware of what you're expecting and have matching expectations. Albeit while lowering them. Well, no, not necessarily, because and, and that's that's the traditional mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, taking love off the number one spot doesn't necessarily equal lowering. I think that's the trap that we fall into. I guess because we've been brainwashed throughout our life that you marry for love. Right. Uh, some of the great movies are based on on on, on amazing love stories. We're spoon-fed. We get the fairy tales read to us at night, and we watch these TV shows and movies that, you know... But doesn't that sound so much nicer? Doesn't that sound so much nicer than my mom telling me, you know, one day you'll grow up and you'll find a healthy woman? 
to impregnate, yes. to impregnate, and 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 you'll rear wonderful children. I feel like I'm in a zoo. <laughs> That's right. We we all love that romantic model. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like and they say, not, life sounds so much bad. better than music. Yeah. <laughs> now you've written a few books. I have. Um, my first book is called Contemplating Divorce, which the title might sound scary, but it really is helpful for people who want to keep their marriage as well because it really just challenges people to get out of what I call the marital indecision cycle because I see that as any indecision is, is, is damaging, I think. Um, so Can that, you imagine buying that and reading that on a plane and everyone's looking at you and seeing what you're reading? Do you know, it's hysterical because when I first got my my own copy of it, mm-hmm. I was getting on a plane and I found that I was embarrassed to read it. And I wanted to tell the person next to me, actually, I wrote this, you know, um, so that's why I'm reading it. But yes, I can I can absolutely empathize with people not wanting. And I actually, I will tell you, I had book covers made for the book. Oh, so you, okay, you're one step ahead. And that's what I love about you. Because I was thinking, if I saw a woman reading this in a bar at a happy hour, this would be such a, you know. Right. Could be a conversation starter. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And this is with, you wrote with this with uh, Vicki Larson, did you? No, that was my first book. That okay, one I that wrote, first, yep. own, and then I, I wrote a, another book called Stronger Day by Day, which is also for divorcing people. And this last book called The New I Do is the one that I co-authored with Vicki Larson. The subtitle is Reshaping Marriage for Skeptics, Realists, and Rebels. So how is each different from the other? Well, the contemplating divorce book is really focusing on when you're in a bad marriage and, you know, you're you're trying to figure out whether you should stay or go. Um, The second book is after, you know, people have made the decision to leave or they have been left and it's a way to find emotional strength to get on the other side of the difficult transition that divorce is. Mm. And then the... The New I Do is really more a book about trying to open people's mind to the fact that there are other ways of coupling, and we want to get away from the shame-based, you know, if you divorce, then you've done something wrong or you've failed model. Oh, so that that comes across uh, in terms of you suggest the seven alternatives to marriage that we were discussing earlier. Right, Exactly. So it's still staying married, but now just redefining what it all means. Well, in the book, we, we write to the person who's considering getting into marriage for the first time mm-hmm. or the person who's currently in a marriage and wants to redefine it or for some of the boomers who are getting remarried. Okay. Something for everyone. Something for everyone. How can people get in touch with you, Susan? Well, my website is called Changing Marriage, and my email address is info at Changing Marriage, and my phone number is 415-448-6242. Susan, that's a wrap. Wonderful having you on the show. Well, thank you. It's been really wonderful to be on the show. Thank you so much. All the best, and God bless. 
Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jazzwell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jazzwell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.